John Maynard made his inscripted debut in the second series with the great zombie comedy, Nearly Dead. That film inspired P.J. Starks to invite him to direct a Volumes of Blood horror story segment. We recently screened that segment as part of our Volumes of Blood night. John came in early that day to talk to us about Volumes of Blood, his previous film, and how he got into filmmaking. Cue music. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, uh, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, actually, uh, grew up in Glasgow, Kentucky, which is like South Central, uh, transplanted to Louisville. Um, I work at WLKY, uh, which is a CBS affiliate in, in Louisville. I'm a creative producer, so I work in the creative services department. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, uh, I'm not a news photographer. I don't write for the news. I write promotional stuff so I, I essentially like marketing uh, sort of yeah and cool. kind of in the marketing side of the news world uh it's a fun job uh <laughs> keeps me on my toes um but yeah and uh how did you uh, first get involved with filmmaking okay uh filmmaking uh it, it's an interesting question how you get involved in filmmaking because i feel like everyone at some point in their life thinks this is something I would like right, to I do. I want to make a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah I could, I could do that. Um, well, I uh, met a beautiful woman in college and got married. And I've always been a writer. Like that's mm -hmm. something that I've always really enjoyed. I've always enjoyed, uh, you know, creative writing, um, short stories, fiction, stuff like that. And um, my wife's brother, Jeff True, he, uh, uh, he is like a huge movie nerd and I wasn't I, I had movies that I liked but I wasn't a film buff at that time right. uh, but he was and not only was he a, a film buff he was really into the art of filmmaking and learning how to do it and at the time I mean this is back in like 1999 early 2000s you know you're shooting on mini DVs and right. uh, you know camcorders um, so uh, we would go uh, and visit him, and he would show us videos that he would make, like little short, silly movies with his kid. And um, it got me interested. Uh, my wife's father. About what year was that? Uh, that it was a well uh, around 1998. Okay, I was just, I was, I was wondering if it was in the dawn of the YouTube. I wasn't sure. No, 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 no. no. Uh, it was around 1998 when uh, I was in college, and then uh, my senior year, my wife and I got married, and. Uh, her father is, owns a print shop, but at the time he was really getting into the uh, idea of maybe doing videography. Mm -hmm. um, and he had bought his own camera. And uh, for me as a storyteller, uh, going into video editing was just kind of like a perfect fit for me. Right. Uh, so I watched what they were doing for friends uh, and for like, they would do like church promotional videos and things like that. And I really liked it. Mm -hmm. I, I really liked the idea of taking something larger, taking an idea and making it better. So somebody would say, I want to do this. And then they would go out and shoot it and then they would put it together and right. edit it. And it was like their idea got better. 
Uh, so uh, that's where I started learning video editing was through my brother-in-law and my father-in-law would go down into their basement and they had all the computer technology and I would edit videos there. Okay, so you were an editor before you were an actual director. Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, I, it kind of went hand in hand. Okay. You know, you, you start uh, editing, you know, maybe... Uh, for me, it was... The first thing that I really edited was like a a skateboarding video oh, nice. for myself, just like something silly and goofy. And yeah. I was like, I just want to put this together. The fish eye. And all yeah. That. Well, <laughs> I wish. No, <laughs> uh, you know, you think about back in that, those days. Uh, yeah. A fish eye lens. That would have been nice to have. Right. Now they got um, the fish eye for the iPhone. You can yeah, get an attachment. Exactly. Crazy. Exactly. Yeah. No. Uh, so from there I got into the editing side mm -hmm. and uh, I bought Blake Snyder's uh, Save the Cat to kind of uh, yeah. get my feet wet with screenwriting and I just kind of started testing myself. Uh, I wrote two features that of course aren't made, <laughs> haven't been made, probably will never be made, but I wrote them. Yeah. Uh, and I started writing short films, started practicing adapting uh, short stories into films because I really like the writing process. Yeah, so. cool. Yeah, and that's uh, some great writers, like I, I do the library's Twitter, so I'm often looking for like inspirational quotes from authors to throw up for yeah. hashtag motivational Monday or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but that's one common thing I see said amongst all of them is like, you know, just write. Don't like wait for a masterpiece idea to hit oh, you. Yeah. Just get it all out, get all the bad mm -hmm. out, and eventually you'll come on something good. Yeah. So that's definitely, definitely good advice. So uh, what was the first thing you shot yourself? Uh, the first thing that I shot myself... Um, well, um, my first, I would say, like, halfway big project was a, um, uh, I was involved on a 48-hour film project. It was a, oh, man, was that about a decade ago? It was a long time ago. Oh, wow. I, I had just started into After Effects, which is a program in the Adobe suite. Mm -hmm. At that time, there was no Adobe suite. It was just, you know, After Effects. And was that something that Adobe bought and added to theirs? Or uh, was I, that, I, don't I, know. I didn't know if I they developed know. that or not. I couldn't um, uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, you bought Adobe After Effects separate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I bought it because I wanted to be able to make a lightsaber. You know, that's <laughs> what I wanted to do. Nice. And um, so I, I bought Adobe After Effects and started messing around with um, uh, animating. Uh, animation was uh, probably the thing that, uh, it, it's probably like my passion. Like sure. when I was a kid, there were two things I wanted to be. I either wanted to be a a comic book writer, an artist, or a Disney animator. Nice. Uh, so really, like, <laughs> to say how I got into filmmaking, it probably started when I was in middle school. My dad took me to MGM Studios, and I got to tour oh, wow. the animation studios. That's awesome. So that right there was probably, like, the moment where I, if I could have, you know, set the sales for my future, it would have been that. Yeah, it's like, uh, you. that's the, like, a lot of people, I think, have those moments where it's like, you realize you can make money doing this. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah I mean, it, well, it just seems... Well, not money, like, that sounded... <laughs> you can have it as a job. That's, yeah, that's, exactly. You right. could you could take doodling uh, further, you mm -hmm. know, because when you're a 12-year-old, you're just copying other people's work, yeah. and, and here it was like, this is the process right. of bringing, you know, art to life. Sure. Um, uh, so my first bit, like I started messing around with After Effects, uh, and I, 
I got in on a team for the 48-hour film project. Mm-hmm. I wasn't leading. I wasn't doing anything. I was also really into writing still. I, had my, I was the only one that had a copy of Final Draft right. on, my, I, on my MacBook Pro or mm-hmm. whatever. I think I just had a Mac Pro at that time or MacBook. Yeah. Um, so I got on that team, and that was the first time I was involved in the process of making a film. Sure. I, I did multiple things on it, primarily... I wrote the script, uh, or I was involved in writing the script, uh, and did a lot of the editing and all of the visual effects I did. Cool. So uh, that was the big thing. That was kind of where I, I kind of jumped in and said, okay, I'm, I'm going to really take this on as a hobby at that point and see if I can turn this into something where I can actually make money off of. So Cool. And I've... Uh I don't want to talk too much about the 48-hour film festival because yeah. I know we're going to do that mm-hmm. next week. But, uh, like, I didn't realize they'd been around that long. Uh, to talk, I guess, a bit about that process without going to just kind of a summary. Okay. Well, um, the 48-hour film? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, the process is, uh, you know, you sign up. Uh, there's, a, there's an entry fee mm-hmm. that you have to pay, and then you create your team. Uh, and when, you know... The, the signups are months in advance, uh, and then you show up at the kickoff, and at the kickoff, they give you a, 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 a genre. You pick a genre out of a hat, uh, a line of dialogue, a character, and a prop. And those things have to show up in your short film, and the short film has to be seven or four to seven minutes long. Okay. I wasn't sure if there's a time restraint. Yeah, there's a time restraint, and you have 48 hours to complete it. Uh, so that, in a nutshell, is the 48 hours. So it's like conceptualized project. and then yeah. written. You can't have executed. anything made beforehand. Oh, wow. Everything has to be produced from that moment. Yeah. So that's cool. And I've, uh, I've actually approached them about doing that here, but yeah. I've, I've oh, never yeah. heard back from them, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> maybe one of these days. Uh, so from there, where did you go? What was the next project? Uh, the next big thing was, uh, uh, I did a short film. Well, I got into a writer's group okay. that, and if I could tell your audience one thing to do, it's sure. Any advice? Yeah. Please pass on. Uh, it, it was kind of serendipitous how this happened. I was in a coffee shop writing my screenplay, you know, you hear <laughs> that's like the story, but yeah. I saw a guy reading, um, he was reading, uh, Sid Field's, uh, book on screenwriting. It's like the Bible for screenwriting. Sure. Uh, and I noticed it and I was trying to work up the courage to talk to him because right. he's reading a book on how to write screenplays. So, and the book that I had just read told me that you need to let people read your screenplays. And here I was with a screenplay and no one to read it. So I worked up the courage to go up and talk to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, we just hit it off. You know, cool. it was, uh, he's actually out, out in LA right now. His name is Tim Strader. Oh, wow. uh, and he's, you know, he's trying to make it. And you know, awesome. so if you guys want to look him up on Vimeo, Tim Strader, uh, check out his stuff. He's doing short films and things out there. Excellent. Um, but yeah, we started off a, uh, a screenwriters group. We kept it small. There were about four to five of us. Um, mm-hmm. and we were really productive. Um, cool. that was, I, I already had a screenplay that I, or a, a full screenplay that I had written mm-hmm. a feature that was like 110 pages. So we each got together and we would read each other's and we would comment, see how we could, uh, make changes, make it better. Um, and from that point, like he was making a short film called uh, 
Monkey Mocha Fantastique. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that actually, William's a friend of mine. Yeah. yeah. I was in that. Okay. Yeah. yeah William yeah, Wallace. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he wrote that. Tim Strader wrote that. And um, I wanted to be in that so bad. There were so many opportunities. Uh, I uh, just, the name didn't click with me when you first said that. But yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. he was working on a, on a feature at the time uh, called Captain Chino's, which is kind of based around the whole coffee shop thing, just like that. That's a good name. Was. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, at that moment, like I was, I was writing these. I was writing this feature mm -hmm. and I had, I don't know why it was just like, I was watching maybe an older person cross the road <laughs> and I thought, man, they would be, if there were a zombie apocalypse, they would be in big trouble. <laughs> so at that moment I thought, well, you know what? That's not necessarily an angle anyone has taken with right. zombie movies. And I started mulling around this idea. Well, what if I were able to write a screenplay, a short film, uh, that was a zombie movie, but you know, zombie movies are zombie movies. They're right. done a million times, but you, you know, you got to kind of have your gimmick in a way. And I thought, well, what if it was set in a nursing home? I mean, no one's really taken that, that Avenue before. And, and in my mind, I just kept seeing these jokes come up. Yeah. Uh, and, and it got to the point to where, uh, you know, the, you get the, that when you get the title and you can't get away from it, it's it, it has to be made. Right. So I went up to Tim one day. I think he was working, and I was like, Tim, I've got an idea <laughs> uh, for a zombie movie uh, that happens in a nursing home, and the name of the zombie, like, it, you know, the zombies are, are, these old people are trying to fight off these zombies, but then they realize at the end that the zombies aren't interested in eating them. They're only interested in eating the young people and the reason is because they're almost dead to begin with and i can call them it is. nearly dead and i was like i was like this is we got to do this and yeah. he was like yeah write it so i wrote it and we shopped it around um with each other tim helped me uh make it before he actually he moved up to new york mm -hmm. and lived there for a few years um and uh we got involved in the film community that that's really what got me really involved in the film community in louisville met a lot of people met a lot of actors you know held my first um uh what is it a casting call sure. which was really interesting yeah, you got sunny in there i love that man. oh yeah He's yeah hilarious. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and that's uh, that's actually how I first heard of you because uh, yeah. PJ brought Nearly Dead to Unscripted. So that was like the first thing you did fully on. Well, I mean, yeah, I that was like the that was jumping headfirst into a big time. Wow, well, I call it a big time production. You know, well, I, I mean, it, it looks. Very, I mean, it, 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 it does not. Really it does not good. look like a first film at all. No, yeah, yeah. Better, and it, yeah. Fe it felt like when we got done with it and I finished it. Well, the f the first version of it was was pretty bad. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I won't say pretty bad. Um, because the acting was great, uh, but the visual effects, I rushed them. Oh, yeah. And the visual effects in the first version didn't look as great. So did you go back and reshoot or yeah, just reshoot? No, I, I just I went back and spent a little bit more time gotcha. on the visual effects. Was that still and After Effects and stuff you're using then? Or yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was one of those things where I had a deadline that I wanted to hit. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of just got out there what I could get out there. Uh, so that we could do the premiere and then I went back and finessed some of those visual effects and then we did kind of like a second premiere okay, cool. uh, with even an even more complete awesome. movie. So. And um, so your first unscripted experience with that was with that. I'm interested in local film scenes. I know we talked a little bit about this before we started recording. Tell me about Louisville. Well, Louisville is, you know, obviously bigger than Owensboro. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know... 
because it's so big, sometimes you can feel like you're on an island. Yeah. Uh, it's difficult to, well, you really have to take that step. Like sure. I, I mentioned when I talked to Tim, Tim yeah. for the first time, like I was on my own. I, I, I didn't really have anyone other than my brother-in-law to talk to. And we had already been writing uh, screenplays together. Mm-hmm. And, um, but we weren't, you know, we were kind of hitting a wall. There was sure. nowhere to take what we were doing. And when we talked to Tim, Tim had a an even broader network already mm-hmm. created, and that got me in, in touch with other filmmakers. Uh, and Tim was one of the reasons why I first did a 48-hour film project, because okay. he mentioned it, and I was like, wow, that sounds like a fun thing. Yeah. Um, and he did it one year, and I was like, dude, why didn't you invite me on <laughs> to do that? Uh, but And I did it the next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, really just when it comes to creating that community, uh, the important thing is just to be uh, courageous and take that first step. Sure. You have to kind of initiate it. It's almost like, uh, you know, going up and, and asking out the girl, you know, you, right. you, it's the meet cute, I guess gotcha. you have to, you have to, you know, if you see someone else who seems interested, if you go to a movie and you see a group of people afterwards sitting around talking about the movie, be courageous and go up yeah. and, and start the conversation because if they're if if you find a group of people who are into films, more than likely they want to make one. Right. And it you can't do it on your own. Mm-hmm. You can't. I mean, uh, it's too expensive. You know, uh, the equipment is it. You don't need the best equipment, but. Uh, if you find someone who might have, and that's the thing about community, you might have a camera, somebody else might have the audio, somebody else might have the, the ability to write, somebody else might have the ability to edit or visual effects mm-hmm. or, 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 or motion graphics or, or whatever. Somebody might actually have a connection to someone who's wanting to finance. You know, yeah. uh, it, it takes all of these pieces kind of coming together. So if you're thinking this is something I want to do, the first step is just getting out there. Right. Uh, if I had never talked to Tim Strader in a coffee shop, PJ wouldn't have ever, I would never have made Nearly Dead, and PJ would have never have seen it, and I wouldn't have been on Volumes of Blood. Yeah, too. I mean, that's a good segue. So let's uh, let's talk about what you're here to show tonight. Uh, tell us a bit about uh, your, your segment in Volumes of Blood. Okay, so my segment is called Blood Bath, um, uh, and the name kind of gives it away. Uh, <laughs> I, when, uh, when PJ confronted me uh, or contacted me, actually, I should say I contacted him when I saw that he was making a second one because right. I was going to be involved in the first one. I was thinking you and William both. Yeah, were we, yeah but I just job interference. Right. It just wasn't the right time for me, so I had to pull out. Uh, but man, when I saw the acclaim that it was getting, I was like, I, I felt like, man, I, I really missed out on something. Yeah. So when he said he was doing a part two, I... I I, as soon as I saw it, I Facebook messaged him. I was like, PJ, I want to be on this. Yeah, I, know I, lo- I, know, you, I know we love nearly dead. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was like, I promise you, I will not back out. Right. You bring me on. I, I swear I will not back out because I had already transitioned in, in my workplace and uh, was, in a, was in a place where I felt confident and comfortable that I could give him what he needed sure. as a director. Um, so, yeah, he, uh, I contacted him. He got back with me and said he had, a, he had like three a few scripts that he didn't have directors for and that he would shoot them to me. And he shot me three scripts. Uh, and Bloodbath just kind of jumped out at me as a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just seemed like a funny kind of psychological, but yet 
I don't it, it just seemed like a mystery that needed to be unfolded. Right. And uh, that's that's what I the the comedy, like that's one thing that draws me. I'm not a big horror guy, but like with like nearly dead, like the fact that there were jokes there and uh, yeah. volumes of blood like that and I appreciate the meta aspects of volumes of blood too, but that's that that's really gets me more invested in a movie if there there's some comedy. So yeah. Yeah. I, I recognize that. So uh the actors you had, uh, were you involved with casting at all or were they already? No, casting? I wasn't involved with casting. you know, being out an out of town person mm-hmm. and I think uh PJ pretty much uh, he knew uh, he knew at least that he wanted Moses in okay. this segment to yeah. begin with. So, but also being from out of town, my time was kind of limited on how many trips I could make in. Yeah. But I tried. Anytime uh, the directors were getting together, anytime there was a production meeting where the directors directors needed to be there, mm-hmm. I tried to be there. I think I came down like maybe two or three times. Tell us a little bit about your cast for your segment. Uh, well, for Volumes of Blood, uh, for Bloodbath, uh, you know, we had Moses Mosley, uh, you know, of, of The Walking Dead, and uh, then Kevin uh, and Bridget, uh, and they were just unbelievable. I, you know, as a director, when I, when I do, like, when I would do side projects for people, you know, directing people, uh, directing people who aren't professional actors mm-hmm. is pretty easy. Uh, almost to the point of like, I don't feel like I'm really directing because I feel like I'm reading you the lines, right. you know? Uh, and one thing Bo talked about when we had him on, Bo Kalen, uh, mm-hmm. is that he writes all his stuff with specific people in mind. He knows he wants person A to fill yeah. role, role B. Uh, and just he, they're not they're not professional actors, but he writes to their strengths and their personalities, which mm-hmm. makes things a lot easier like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because when I wrote Nearly Dead, like I wrote one character as an, as an African-American, mm-hmm. uh, and I, no, no one showed up, no African-American oh, yeah. showed up for the casting call. So, yeah. uh, but... Uh, the person who fell into that role really fell into that role yeah. and did a perfect job with it. Um, but yeah, so um, the cast, uh, directing the cast, like, like I was saying the, uh, in the other projects that I've done, uh, I feel like it, you almost do too much direction to where the person isn't really acting at all. Right, not You're natural. just kind of yeah. telling them what to do. Yeah. Um, where when I got on set for Bloodbath, Moses, Kevin, and Bridget. Well, let's say Kevin and Bridget. They were, they. I thought they were a couple. Oh yeah. I mean, I was blown away by their chemistry, uh, blown away by how they were just able to fake it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean they, it, they played it, off each other really yeah, well. Yeah, I, I mean, I, the movie. they they were doing things together that. I would never feel comfortable doing, you know, with a person who I wasn't intimate with. <laughs> and so part of me was just kind of like, man, they, they must be dating, but yeah. no, no, not at all. They were just showing up and doing a great job. Yeah. So, yeah. That's cool. Uh, let's uh, kind of backtrack a little bit. Uh, the script, I know you didn't write it, but you said you did some work on it after you got it. So yeah, talk a bit well, about I, I felt like when PJ sent it to me, uh, you know, it was a script. Mm-hmm. It was a, you know, it was a fully written out idea. Uh, but I, when I looked at it, I thought, if I'm directing this, I need to know, or I need to format it mm-hmm. in the way that I want to shoot it. Sure. So uh, yeah, I contacted PJ and uh, said, hey, can I, can I play with it just a little bit? He had mentioned that there were parts of the story that were personally important to him. Right. Uh, so I, I, I was like, I'm not going to change the arc. I'm not going to change the characters. All I want to do is, you know, go through... Uh, change some of the actions, uh, the actions, uh, work with the dialogue, make it a little bit more punchy. Uh, cause that's the thing with writing dialogue. 
people tend to write dialogue as if they're writing a book. Sure. And you can get away with a lot there. Mm-hmm. But when you're writing a movie or writing a screenplay, dialogue has to be quick, has to be punchy. You don't want to be on one person right. for a very... Now, granted, there are some writers that can get away with that. Uh, Quentin Tarantino, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I can't not be enthralled by all of the beginnings of his movies that just seem to have this, you know, just 15 minutes just of straight dialogue. Yeah. Uh, but for a short film... Uh, or a segment like this, you have to look at dialogue as if it's a step in a joke that's leading to a punchline. Sure. Yeah. So it's just got to be quick. Boom, boom, sense. boom. So um, I went through and just kind of reformatted the script. I changed some of the dialogue and action, but I didn't change uh, the arc of the story at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And that's probably tough to do on an anthology because you got all the things you got to probably hook into it that you got to. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. And I didn't, I, you know, I had only read a couple of the other stories, so I d- wasn't really sure, mm-hmm. you know, which parts of this were important to the sure. uh, to the arc of the entire story? Uh, also, because when it comes to anthologies, uh, this anthology is a lot different mm-hmm. in the fact that it, when you watch it, it feels kind of like a narrative whole. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, yeah, it is an anthology as it, it it's a bunch of different stories meshed together, but mm-hmm. it's pretty much happening in the same location, uh, and it feels like a feature where you're starting with this group of characters and they're you know changing throughout the film sure and that's that's uh, one thing he does really well or the whole crew does really yeah. well like when they did the same thing with the one they made here at the mm-hmm. library they yeah. uh, it's it, it's cohesive but it works separately well too so we can like tonight we're going to show two of the segments and they're going to work as mm-hmm. short films essentially yeah and you're not i mean you can enjoy them separately without having to see the whole film but it's much better if you do see the whole film yeah i mean you, you have the anthologies like um, like VHS mm-hmm. and uh, you know Tells from the Dark Side, which sure. even though Tells from the Dark Side kind of has that underlying little kid, I don't know if you've seen it or whatever. It's probably I think, been a while. I think I've seen the the TV. No, I'm thinking of Tells from the Crypt. Yeah, right? maybe from, I didn't see Tells from the Dark yeah, Side. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. you have you have uh, anthologies that are essentially just um, the base story is or or the wraparound story mm-hmm. is really just a vehicle to drive the other stories that aren't connected. Sure. Uh, but uh, Volumes of Blood is a bit more like Trick or Treat, which is one of my favorite I love that one. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, anthologies where, you know, Trick or Treat, it all happens in the same town. Mm-hmm. It's just different people. Sure. Uh, and that's what's happening in this. It's a, it's a universe. Mm-hmm. You know, it's happening in this world. It's not somebody telling a fairy tale to a little kid. So yeah. I remember the, the shoot we had here was pretty intense. Like we, uh, like a, I was a producer on both these films, but I mean, I didn't really have that much. I, I think basically all I did with the second one is I helped PJ find a couple bands. Okay. Uh, but with the first one, I was here every night, and it's, it was amazing to see. I think if the cameras were turned on during the shoot, we would have had an excellent reality show, like a <laughs> camera show, behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. We did get a bit of documentary footage, but like mm-hmm. we would come in. I think everybody got here normally about 5.30 on Saturdays. We close at 6 on Saturdays. So as soon as possible after six shooting would begin, mm-hmm. they would go until we, we, we had a hard stop. We had to be out of the building at 2 AM. So we would go up until like one thirty and then have 30 minutes to clean up. And yeah. I'm sure you've seen the film. So, you know, it was pretty messy. Uh, there were like exploding heads. There was fake blood. <laughs> talk, we like, talk about your shoot. Like I, I know, like it, it seems like, a horror film shot in one central location that's kind of tight, mm-hmm. you're going to have messes to clean up. Like, how, oh, yeah. how intense was the shoot? Just in general, just give us a summary of how it went down. Well, I mean, you know, um, 
when it came to sh- the shooting of volumes of blood, you know, if you ask PJ, you know, he'd probably be like, oh my gosh, like the uh, location uh, was probably one of the biggest headaches for him because it was being shot in a house that was for sale. Yeah, and I knew I knew it took a while for him to find that. House. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, in my mind, the house was absolutely perfect. Yeah, it looked great. Um, uh, when I read the script, there were some things that I really wanted to do, but you know, when you're locked into a location, um, there you just can't do it. Like I, I when I had reformatted the script, I had turned uh, the bathtub into a character. Like I had really anthropomorphized yeah, it. Yeah. But I, you know, because I, I, in my mind I was envisioning this clawfoot tub. I was even thinking about purchasing one. And mm-hmm. um, but w- when uh, when they got the location. Uh, I thought, no, let's just let, let's stick to this. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to try to make things overly complicated because, th- you know, they here in Owensboro, they you guys had the crew, you had everything, you were working on everything, and for me to try to inject something that you guys didn't have down here would would also be bringing in like a um, uh, an unknown variable. Right. So I thought I, I'm going to let them work with what they have because they had a special effects team and I'm just going to worry about coming in and directing. Sure. Uh, but yeah, no, the, the location was really good. Mm-hmm. The outside of the house looks so ominous. I know somebody lives there now and oh, I, I didn't know if it's sold. That's cool. Oh, uh, well I, yeah, I'm just a ima- Well, mm-hmm. I feel like the reason they had to get out was because it uh, was okay. selling. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I was my segment was the actual last segment okay. filmed at that location, uh, and it uh, it was also the bloodiest <laughs> yeah. by far. Uh, having seen you know the the movie, I I can proudly say that bloodbath lives up to its name. <laughs> um, we couldn't shoot the main death on camera, or no, yeah, we did shoot it on camera. That was dumb. We couldn't <laughs> shoot the main death. Uh, in the in the actual bathroom, too messy, because uh, yeah. there would there would just be no way to pull it off and not destroy that right. bathroom. So we actually shot the main death in the basement of that house, okay. uh, where there's just kind of like a, a a dirt floor um, that they could easily clean up. So what PJ and uh, and the special effects crew did, Cassandra, they uh, they bought an extra bathtub. Oh, yeah. So they like bought the well, they bought the bathtub, and they bought, like, these white walls that matched the walls that were in the actual bathroom, and they cut a hole in the bottom of the bathtub. Uh, and that's how we were able to actually have the bathtub do what it needed to do yeah. uh, convincingly. Uh, shooting that scene, it was hilarious just to watch. <laughs> but it was also extremely, uh, the anti- not anticipation, um, anxiety. The anxiety was there because we only had one. We only had one shot. Yeah. And we had to get it, and we knew that if it didn't work, we were kind of screwed because we only had really one change of clothes for Moses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as soon as these walls got blood on them, uh, there was no cleaning them off just because of what they were made of. Um, I was going to ask what happened to the bathtub after the oh, shoot. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> as far as I know, it's still in the basement. No. Oh, yeah. uh, I w- I didn't have to clean up, so. Nice. <laughs> I had to get home and get editing. So, yeah. um, no, uh, but it was a fun scene to shoot. And yeah, you know, they, uh, we had to lay down a false floor mm-hmm. in the bathroom, uh, because we wanted to cover it in blood. Sure. Uh, and we didn't want to ruin the floor that was there. So did you have any like time constraints on this one? Like, or did you have free reign of the house pretty much while you, uh, were there we had free reign. Okay. There was nobody, there, no one, they weren't doing a showing or anything like that. Mm-hmm. No, 
but we knew as far as time constraints, we had the weekend. Yeah. You know, I mean, if we would have had the week, you know, that would have been different. But, um, but we had a, you know, we had a, a kind of like a, almost a 48 hour window, I, I, maybe a little bit more. Okay. Uh, so two, order. so it was just a two day shoot for, yeah, for, essentially was that every segment? Was it two days or uh, give it, or take? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I know mine was, I, I feel like they tended to try to lock them into a weekend because yeah, that's, most of that was kind of the way it was last. Yeah. Most of these people, you know, we all have day, our day jobs, jobs and, and stuff, yeah. uh, we're coming into, you know, coming in on weekends to do this. So sure. How long did it take to edit? Yeah, uh, man, I wish I could, I can't really like, this is what I would do. I work, uh, I go into work at one thirty mm-hmm. in, in the afternoon and work until 10 30. So, uh, what I would do is, uh, I would wake up, I'd take my kids to school and I would come home and from nine o'clock to 12 o'clock I would edit. And I did that for about a month and a half. So uh, I mean, it's a, you know, you want to get it right. You yeah, know, I, sure. I knew PJ was counting on, on me being able to edit this and, and, you know, and I also wanted to get it to him in enough time to where he could make notes and send it back to me. Luckily, there weren't a whole lot of notes. You know, he came <laughs> back with just a few things and, cool. uh, you know, a few things that needed to be tightened up. Um, but yeah. What are you, oh, what are you using to edit these days? Premiere? I use Premiere. Premier. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, when final, I was using Final Cut Pro 7 and then when Final Cut X came out, I know I'm probably going to make some people mad, but <laughs> I was, I had to jump ship. I yeah. was like, uh, sorry. And I, Premiere, uh, it felt just like Final Cut, so it was a real easy That's transition. Cool. So sweet. Did every filmmaker handle their own editing? Or I don't know. Yeah. I know a lot of them did. Yeah. Uh, I know. Yeah, I, I I feel like I feel confident saying that most of them did. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm just sure. curious about that. Uh, so any anything reveal itself to you during the editing process? Any major change that you had to make, or was it pretty much as you shot it? That's what it ended up. Well, you know, I will say uh, storyboarding is probably one of the most important parts of directing a film. Oh, uh, man, Nathan Thomas Miller's storyboards oh were like serious works of art. You know, I, I thought mine were good, them. and then I saw like a Facebook post of his, yeah. and I was like, okay, I Are, quit. No. Do, do you draw and stuff? I know you talked earlier about animation. Yeah, yeah. I, I, well, I mean, I, 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 I'm not Nathan Thomas Miller, you know <laughs> I mean? They're, th- those guys, guys like him are you know, are, are, are few and far between because yeah. he is an amazing talent. Oh, he is, um, I do what I do, you yeah. know, uh, uh, but when it comes to storyboards, I can, I, I can hold my own. Have you seen uh, James Gunn's from Guardians of the Galaxy? They're hilariously oh, yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah. They're just like stick figures, yeah. essentially. Yeah. But you know, the, I had, um, I had a good chunk of the storyboards done when cool. I came in, uh, for the shoot. So you already knew what the house looked like? I, I, yeah. Um, I, I had a good understanding of, of what it would look oh, like. Yeah, cool. I actually, no, I came in on Friday. Mm-hmm. I, I came in on Friday and I took pictures. Uh, and that night I got to work on storyboarding and I, and I storyboarded everything that I thought we were going to get done on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in breaks, if, if there was a, a shot that we didn't get, I was, I was sketching it out. Sure. Uh, because if you have a good storyboard, you know the shots you're going to get and it will line up perfectly in the edit, or at least as good as you could hope. Okay, cool. uh, and yeah, I mean, when it came down to, uh, when it came from shooting to editing, because of the storyboards, I didn't, I didn't have any surprises. I didn't have any shots that didn't work. Yeah, it's always like uh, great when you can, you don't have that much to work to do after. I mean, well, not to downplay the significance of editing, but yeah, no major changes, no major surprises. Well, uh, when it comes to the editing, mm-hmm. I, I don't like what you find is uh, when it comes to really like putting an emphasis on uh, 
the moments that are supposed to get you. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where you finesse in the editing. Sure. Like in the in the storyboard, it might just be a hand coming out of the door, but when you when you shoot it, the hand might seem like it's coming out too slow. Right. Well, then in the editing, you take a couple frames out, and it makes it a, a herky jerk, you know, yeah. and a, a, a quick grab, and it. Uh, and that's the magic of the edit is being able to make those small finesses and touches to really uh, sell that moment. Um, another thing is, you know, um, framing. Like, you know, when you're working, uh, we did some of this handheld. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the shooting was handheld, I should say. And, uh, you know, in doing that, maybe you don't get the center that you want or you don't get the frame that you want. So right. in the edit, you're able to, uh, you're able to scale things up. Uh, move them around, keyframe things, and and make it work. Yeah. So cool. Is that? Uh, I know that's kind of your first love editing. Is that still like your favorite part of the process, or do you? No, I, I would say writing. Writing. Yeah, uh, editing is one of those things that I I learned to do. Like I said, through mm -hmm. my brother-in-law and father-in-law, mm -hmm. because it was part of the process. And I did. I do enjoy it. Yeah. I, I, I really do, and I, I do it daily now. Yeah. Uh, but writing is where it's at for me. I, cool. I really enjoy writing. Cool. So, uh, did you? Uh, I, I usually at the end of these, just talk to, about the premiere and stuff. Were you able to come down for the? Oh premiere? yeah. Cool. Yeah. I wasn't gonna miss it. Talk, talk to me a bit about that, because unfortunately, I was unable to make it. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, I was blown away at the response, uh, the local response, the people who came out and watched it. Um, was it at the convention center again? Yes. Right? Okay, cool. Yes. That's what uh, about. It was, it felt, you know, it was definitely the most premiere like premiere I've ever <laughs> been to. Like, yeah. uh, of course, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a fun time. We had, had a blast. My wife and I made a weekend out of it. Cool. We came down and, uh, Did you get any barbecue while you're down? Yeah. Uh, no, not that time, but yeah. maybe tonight. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely worth checking out. Right yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I know we had like 400 and that, that's one great thing about this project. Uh, and like, the town loves it. And like, mm -hmm. you know, you think Owensboro is a pretty kind of conservative town. You wouldn't think that they would universally embrace a horror film, but they did. And like, oh, like yeah. businesses loved it. And the, the response has been fantastic. Yeah. Uh, what's next for you? Like, you got another <sighs> script in the shoot you're going to work on soon? You know, I, I, like I said, my job right now, I'm daily, I'm writing and editing. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, you know, it's fun. It's kind of, you know, sustaining that side of me. Uh, or that passion that I have within me. Um, but I, I think right now I'm just waiting for the next, the next story. Mm -hmm. I, I've got a couple of screen, like I said, screenplays features that I've written. What I would really like to do though, is, um, I, I've, I started practicing adapting short stories sure. and I would like to do one. I would just like, I, I'm a big fan of Wendell Berry. He's my favorite oh, author. Yeah. Yeah, I got to meet him at the Kentucky State Book oh, Fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And which this is a total <laughs> shift in gears from volumes of blood oh, horror yeah. stories to Wendell Berry. Um, I uh, I was introduced to him in college. Not mm -hmm. like I was introduced to his, his writings. Work, yeah. um, and and I, uh, he's a great essayist and poet. But what I fell in love with were, were his Port William stories, mm -hmm. uh, the fictional town in uh, uh, in Kentucky. And um, I I just I love his writing. So I was uh, reading, I believe it's uh, in the book, A Place on Earth. Mm -hmm. There was a chapter called The, the Counselor, uh, and just I loved it. I, I thought, man, this is, I could see it in my head. 
you know, I could see everything happening. And I thought, I, I need to adapt this. Yeah. I just, I just for practice, I just want to try it. So uh, I sat down with a couple of highlighters and I did a little bit of research on how to adapt a, you know, a story into a screenplay and just went to work, started uh, highlighting out what I thought was the important actions and dialogue and scene settings and, um, and took a, you know, a couple of mornings and, and pounded out a, um, you know, a, a, a decent sized um, uh, adaptation to a, what I would consider a short story, even though it was a chapter from his right. book. Uh, and I would love to just do something like that and make it. Um, That's awesome. That would be if 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 I do anything in the next year, it would probably be something like that. I, I'll I'll do the forty eight hour film project. Yeah. I, I do that every year. It, it's fun and it, how many of those do you have now? You oh got gosh, several, I think right? we've done six or seven. Oh wow. So yeah. Yeah, but no, that Wendell Berry thing sounds awesome. I would definitely love to see that. And, oh yeah. You know, if if you do it, it would be definitely get it unscripted for sure. Yeah, it would be. It, that would be something that. I think if I were passionate about one thing right now, it would be that. Cool. I would want to do that. So, All right. We will definitely keep our eyes out for that. Uh, <laughs> any closing thoughts? Any advice? Like, you know, a couple pieces of advice you could offer budding filmmakers. That would, that would be a great way to end, I think. Yeah. Uh, well. Uh, You've already done some of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, watch what you want to make. Uh, if, you, if you enjoy horror movies, watch horror movies. If you enjoy uh, independent movies, watch independent films. If you uh, enjoy dramas, watch that. Uh, read screenplays. Uh, you can find them online. They're not hard to find. Mm -hmm. uh, um, so yeah, watch what you want to make, read what you want to make, and get out there and do it. You know, uh, Talk to people, be courageous, put yourself out there, don't be afraid. Uh, all they can do is tell you no, and maybe somebody will say yes sometimes. So. Yeah. Awesome. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, John, for talking to us. And Thank we're looking you. forward to the screening tonight.